Well, many of you know, probably know, well, first of all, I should. I was thinking, maybe you're here today and you don't know who some of the, the staff are. My name's Norb. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. Uh, Adam was leading worship. He's also on staff. Uh, Jenna is upstairs with the children. Marnie, I've seen. Anne um, and Quinn is our student ministries pastor. Um, we love serving this church together, and I love this team and working together. Uh, most of you know that uh, uh, I grew up here in Edmonton, I was born and raised, I went to high school here, I went from high school straight to university, I went to the University of Alberta, I uh, did a, a general science degree, I ended up with a major in psychology, a minor in biological sciences, it was kind of a mixed bag of things. Um, <clears throat> I remember from my university days, uh, one prof in particular, and it was a psychology class. It was actually um, animal behavior. There was, a, there was a class back in the day on this. And uh, this prof, the reason I think I remember him was uh, he was a little eccentric. Now, that's probably a kinder word than we would use today. Um, back then, we probably just thought he was crazy, maybe a little bit weird. He had this strange fascination with, of all things, bats. And we had lecture after lecture, probably about five hours worth of lectures about bats. And, um, and he was just went off and on. And the two memories that I have is one time, a guy in this large class, so if you're a University of Alberta student, you know Tory Turtle and uh, one of the big lecture halls there. And a guy puts up his, cl- his hand in class. Like this doesn't happen very often in a class of like two, 300 people, right? He puts up his hand and he says, you know, if bats have this sophisticated sonar, how come you can smash them with a bat, <laughs> with a tennis racket? How come you can smash them? I totally messed that up, didn't I? How, can you, how come you can smash them with a tennis racket? Well, I thought this prof was going to have a heart attack. He couldn't believe that somebody could even conceive of such a thing to, you know, beat up on this poor little bat. The other memory I have of this prof, it was a Thursday afternoon class. It was right before Good Friday, the long weekend. And as he's wrapping up his class, he just goes, well, go on, have a good weekend celebrating whatever you're going to celebrate. And I remember just, that kind of like just hit me in the stomach. Like it just seemed so kind of cold, a little bit callous. Maybe he was getting back at the guy about the bat. I don't know what what was going on. But I remember just thinking that here he was kind of openly mocking the events that are so pivotal, pivotal and central to the Christian faith. I, I remember actually maybe even feeling a little sorry for him. I thought, wow, I think, you know, he's, he's really lost. And the reality is, is if people don't believe in Jesus, if they don't believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus, ultimately, what hope do they have? And perhaps you, like me, I've attended funerals of people who do not believe, who have no hope. And the absence of hope in that service is almost palatable. It's just so obvious that in this person's worldview, life after death does not exist, right? You live, you die, and that's it. Game over, done. But for the Christian, we know that this life that we live here on earth is not all that there is. And while this life can be excruciatingly difficult at times, and life can be filled with intense suffering, it's ultimately the hope of eternity that gives us strength to persevere. Paul, in writing to the Romans, 
was speaking to this, and he says in chapter 8 and verse 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Right? So he looks at his life and he thinks of his present circumstances, his present sufferings, but then he looks at them in view of eternity, in view of the glory that will be revealed, and he goes, it's really not worth comparing. They're pretty insignificant. He says something similar in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. He says, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. You see, there is something better to look forward to than this life. And the Christian life itself is far more meaningful than those who live without hope. How you live here and now matters, but there is more to come. There is an eternal glory that is greater than the troubles and the suffering we may experience in this life. And I honestly think sometimes we get so consumed and fixated on life here as it is now, and we forget about the future. We forget about eternity. We forget about this eternal glory that the Bible talks about. And friends, I believe that today we need to resurrect our hope in the life to come. I mean, we need hope all the time. But I think in this world right now, we need hope more than ever before. And the good news of Easter is that one day everything will be made new. That, 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 and that newness, that being made new, that is the hope that we need right now in our world. The lack of hope doesn't just result in despair. I think fear is a symptom as well. And right now in our world, there's a lot of fear. It's a fear of death that has gripped a lot of people. We've been through two years of, of this pandemic, and, and, and that is a, is a notable emotion that people fear. The, the, the war in Ukraine has just exasperated that. The fear of the escalation or the potential escalation of a war like that. You hear people talking about the nuclear threat of, of that. And this, this fear of the escalation of that. And coupled with that, the fear of the economy and, and, and how are things going to work out. And we get so worried about here and now and it just instills fear into our lives. And friends, at the heart of that fear, I believe, is a lack of hope. Because if all there is in, in life is this life, then in some ways we really don't want it to end, do we? Because there's nothing else to look forward to. If it just is going to end with this, and, 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 and so, you know, if we're living life now, we want to just experience the good life because we want to live the best life because this is all there is, so we may as well make the most of it. We want health and prosperity, and we want to be healthy and comfortable. And whenever those things are threatened, the result is despair and fear. So today, not surprisingly, we want to consider the resurrection of Jesus who, as we sang earlier, is indeed our living hope. And my prayer is that God would use this message to resurrect hope in our lives. 
1 Corinthians 15, uh, Kern read the first uh, 11 verses, but the whole chapter, 58 verses, is a great chapter. And in it, the Apostle Paul makes an argument for the resurrection of the dead by first really considering the resurrection of Jesus. And that's what I want to focus on this morning. But as I thought about this, Paul in these verses makes this um, great argument for the resurrection. And it's a logical argument. And so the question really is, that we can ask ourselves this morning is, what if there was no resurrection? What are the implications if the resurrection never happened? And if you have your Bibles and you turn to 1 Corinthians 15, um, verses 12 and following, Paul makes several statements that speak to these implications if there was no resurrection of the dead. And he has this reasoned argument. It's very logical. And so I'm going to just share a couple of these implications. First of all, if there was no resurrection of the dead, then number one, Christ has not been raised. Right? It just follows. If resurrection of the dead, of a dead person coming back to life, was an absolute impossibility, that it could never happen, then Jesus wasn't raised. That's an implication. If there was no resurrection of the dead, secondly, the apostles' preaching is useless. Because what did they preach? They preached the resurrection of Jesus. And if it didn't happen, it was all in vain. Third, then, he says faith is useless. There's ultimately then nothing to believe in. And the whole kind of structure of faith begins to fall apart. The fourth implication is the apostles are then falsely testifying about God, right? They're just kind of making stuff up as they go. Ultimately, the sins of Christians have then not been forgiven. Verse 17, if you have your finger there, you can read it. He says, and if Christ has not been raised, so if he has not been raised, he says, your faith is futile. And then he adds, you are still in your sins. That's a bleak thought. That thought could lead one to despair. Another implication is if the if there was no resurrection, is that the Christians who then had already died, they're lost forever, they're just gone. There was no hope of ever seeing them again after the resurrection of the dead. And, then in, in, and the last one is that Christians then ultimately are the most pitiful people because they're ultimately basing their lives on a lie. And he puts it this way in verse 19. He says, if only for this life, okay? So if only for the life that we're living, we have hope in Christ. If that's all it is for this life, he says, you are of all people most to be pitied. That's a pretty strong statement. But it makes sense, right? If, if, all we're, if our hope is only here, if our hope for Christ is temporary and not eternal, then we are, in fact, people most to be pitied. And so the implications, if there was no resurrection of the dead, would in fact ultimately be dramatic. There would be nothing to believe. There would be no forgiveness of sins. There is no good news. There would be no gospel. And that's why it's important for us to remember or remind ourselves of the truth of the gospel. And so let's go back to the beginning of the chapter and look at those verses that were read for us. This is just simply a reminder of what we believe. Paul begins verse 1, he says, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you. So if it was good enough for Paul, I thought, you know what? It's good enough today to remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel I preach to you. What you received and on which you have taken your stand. In other words, this is a faith that you've believed in and that you've trusted in. 
By this gospel, he says, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, he says, you have believed in vain. And so what's Paul saying? He's simply reminding them of the gospel. And the gospel literally means good news. But without Jesus' resurrection from the dead, the gospel is not good news at all. You see, Christians would really have no faith at all if there was no resurrection. The entire premise of Christianity would be gone if there was no resurrection. I mean, really, what would we even believe in? If there is no resurrection, sinners would not be saved. There would be no salvation. That is a depressing thought. There would be no purpose to the Christian faith without Jesus' resurrection. And Paul says here, our belief would be in vain. It would be pointless, futile. But thankfully, the gospel is true. And as a result, through faith and believing in Jesus, we are saved. But what is the essence of the gospel? And Paul provides here a great summary overview of the gospel. It's very simple and profound. In just a few phrases in verses 3 and 4, he provides this foundational Christian confession. He says in verse 3 that he received this message, and now he passed it along, he says, because it is of first importance. This is the highest priority. Listen to this. Number one, Christ died. And you're like, okay, well, thank you for the obvious. But just stop and think about that. Christ died. Full stop. This is an established historical fact. The crucifixion actually happened. It wasn't some myth or some fairy tale or some made-up story. God had come in real time. God acted in history. Time is marked by B.C., before Christ, and A.D., which stands for Anani, uh, or Anano Domini, which is medieval Latin for in the year of our Lord. History hinges upon the death of Jesus Christ. Crucifixion itself was a barbaric, brutal way to die. And the Romans had specialized it. And usually the person being uh, crucified would be flogged, beaten to with an inch of his life, then forced to carry the crossbeam to the place ultimately of the crucifixion. There the person would be nailed to the cross, and then it would be raised up, and every breath, breath would ex- inflict extreme pain. Because they would suffocate. And in order to get breath, they'd have to put weight on those feet and on those nails and lift themselves up on their nail-pierced hands. It was a horrible, horrific way to die. And eventually, the legs would be broken to expedite death. It was slow. It was painful. It was barbaric. And in Mark chapter 15... Verses 39 through 45, it records the testimony of the Roman centurion who was responsible for overseeing the execution of Jesus. He himself recognized that Jesus was dead. And when Joseph of Arimathea went to Pilate then and he asked for Jesus' body, and so Pilate calls for the Roman centurion because he himself, Pilate says, he was surprised to hear that he was already dead. 
So surprised, in fact, that he then calls the centurion because he wants to hear it firsthand from the one who supervised the crucifixion to ask him if, in fact, it was true that Jesus had already died. And in verse 45, it says of Pilate, when he learned from the centurion that it was so, in other words, that Jesus was dead, he then gave the body to Joseph. The dead body of Jesus. And you would think that the person who is ultimately responsible for the execution would know what he was talking about. He had done it numerous times before. And if this man says that Jesus is dead, then the man, Jesus, is dead. So Christ died. Secondly, he didn't die in vain. He died for our sins. For our sins. Our home group watched uh, the Easter series by J.D. Greer on Right Now Media. And one of the things that he emphasized was, was that Jesus didn't just die for us, as we will so often say, but rather he died instead of us. Instead of us. Us who are sinners. Yes, he died for our benefit, but he died in our place. He died instead of us. Because we had a price to pay for our sin. There was a penalty to be paid. And that price was death. That's what we deserved. But Jesus stepped in. He took our place. He died instead of us for our sins. And now maybe you think, well, that's not me. I'm, I'm a good person. I actually resent you talking about sin so much or calling me a sinner. While I refer you then to the series of messages that we did leading up to Easter, we examined, examined the seven deadly sins. And I don't know about you, but every week I was like, oh man, not again? And it was like gluttony and anger and greed and sloth and envy and lust and pride. And if we don't guard our hearts against those things, if we don't ask God to search our heart and confess those things, and last week we looked at pride. And it's interesting to note that the very thought that we might not be a sinner proves that, in fact, we are one. Because our pride prevents us from seeing ourselves truthfully. Jesus died so that we might be forgiven. He wasn't just another human being who was crucified. He was the Son of God who satisfied the wrath of God because God is just God is righteous, and sin must be paid for. And that's why we sang in the song, In Christ Alone, these beautiful words there, right? In Christ alone, who took on flesh. This is when God became man. We refer to it as the incarnation. The fullness of God in this helpless babe. And so we have Jesus, fully God and fully man. This gift of love and righteousness scorned by the ones he came to save. Listen to these words. Till on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied, for every sin on him was laid. Every sin. Your sin, my sin, past sin, future sin. On him was laid. Here in the death of Christ, I live. See, we have 
life. Because Christ was willing to die for our sins. And he says Christ died for our sins. And he adds this little phrase, according to the Scriptures. And here we could turn to any Old Testament, many, many Old Testament uh, passages, but let me just take you to Isaiah 53, verse 4 and 5. This is Isaiah prophesying about Jesus. And listen to how, how clearly he writes about this. He says, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Every one of us in need of forgiveness of God. His death brings healing and hope to our lives. This is, in fact, the good news, right? Sin had separated us from God. Sin needed to be atoned for. And so God came along and His Son stepped into our place and did for us what we could not do for ourselves. And so here's the gospel. Christ died for our sins. And He was buried. Why was He buried? Because He had died. He was placed by Joseph in the tomb. And again, All of that is established fact and truth. And then fourthly, he was raised on the third day. He was raised on the third day. You see, after his death on the cross for our sins, he was buried, and then Jesus was raised from the dead on the third day. And friends, that explains the empty tomb, and it explains why the disciples were changed. Just think about it. After Jesus was arrested, beaten, crucified, the disciples scattered. They went into hiding. They were afraid that they would be next. This explains why Peter denied knowing Jesus, because he was fearful that he would suffer the same fate as Jesus, right? When when a small little servant girl asked him, hey, I recognize you. Weren't you with him as well? No, not, not me. Because he was afraid. And the disciples, even though Jesus had predicted many times over that he would die and be raised again on the third day, they didn't get it. But when he was raised on the third day, now that he was resurrected, everything changed, right? The disciples come out of hiding. They take leadership in the church. They would be persecuted for their faith, and eventually some of them died for their faith. And so we have to ask ourselves, would they have risked their lives for a lie? Would they have died for something that they had made up? I don't think so, because the resurrection transformed them, and the resurrection transforms us. The hope that fills our hearts and minds as a result is significant. We have this hope of forgiveness. We have the hope of eternal lives ourselves. And just as Jesus offered hope to the criminal beside him, when he said, listen, today you will be with me in paradise, he offers the same hope to us. 
And that hope means that we can trust Him. We can rely on Him. We can hope in His promises. We can have hope and confidence that He is, in fact, at work in our lives and in our world. Friends, death doesn't have the final say. That is why later in chapter 15, Paul writes again these verses in in verse 54 and 55. We sung about it multiple times in different songs this morning. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? And we celebrate this victory over sin and death today because he was raised on the third day. And this is why we believe in eternal life. Because Jesus died for our sins, was buried, and was raised on the third day. Jesus said earlier in John chapter 11, this is even before he had actually been resurrected to life. He actually claimed to be the resurrection. In verse chapter 11, verse 25 and 26, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Friends, there's not a more important question to ask. Do you believe this? Now that verse is often used at funerals. But why not today? Why not every day? It's true because it speaks to a reality that in Christ we have the hope of our own resurrection and eternal life. And even though we may die, and all of us will die, right? That's a certainty. That is going to happen. Most of us don't want to be there when it happens, right? We can identify with Woody Allen who said, I'm not really afraid of death. Um, I just don't want to be there when it happens, right? But friends, we don't need to fear death. That's what he's getting on about. Because we have the hope of eternity, which is better, better by far. Now, there are many reasons to believe in Jesus and in the resurrection. I could do a whole logical presentation and argument uh, for the resurrection. But here in verses 5 and 8 now, 5 to 8, Paul outlines, I think, one of the main reasons to believe in the resurrection. Because we weren't there, obviously. But we read here in verse verse 5 that he appeared. Think about that. The, the simplicity of what Paul writes, he just, he appeared. Because the fact that he appeared actually confirms that he rose again. Because if he wasn't raised, he wouldn't have appeared. And so he shows up after he was raised from the dead, alive to real people. And the Gospels record all of these various appearances. And here Paul outlines some of them. He says, he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter. You can go ask Peter, he'll say. He, he appeared to the twelve, which just refers to the disciples as, as a group. And then he says, catch this, more than 500 people at the same time. He appeared to 500 people at the same time. And then Paul adds that most of them were still living when he wrote this letter to the Corinthians. What he's implying is this. Listen, 
If you don't believe me, if you don't believe that Jesus rose from the dead, then go and ask the over 500 witnesses about their experience and about whether or not they saw Jesus alive after he had died. Ask them about their encounter with the risen Jesus. You see, if something dramatic happened in our presence this morning, every one of us would become witnesses of that. Every one of us would be able to testify to that. And whatever it is that happened would then become a verifiable fact because 500 people couldn't, 500 people wouldn't make up a lie and then keep it consistently. And so he basically says, listen, if you need more proof, go and ask any one of those who saw him alive after he, was die- after he died and was buried. Over 500 people. Then he singles out, he appeared to James. This was the brother of Jesus who later became a leader in the church in Jerusalem. And then he says, last of all, he appeared to Paul himself. We read about Paul's encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. It's recorded in Acts chapter 9, 1 to 9. And as I was thinking about just trying to illustrate the kind of transformation that takes place when our lives are filled with hope because we've trusted in the gospel, that Jesus died for our sins, was buried, and rose again. We don't need to look any further than the Apostle Paul himself because he kind of uses himself a little bit as an illustration here of the transformation of someone who met Jesus. And in his own words, he says this, beginning in verse 9, For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. I love that. He says, verse 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. You see, it was the grace of God that transformed Paul's life. Paul was a persecutor of Christians. He over, he supervised the death of Christians. And he's transformed into a believer of Jesus Christ himself because he has an encounter with Jesus. And then he goes on and preaches a message of grace. He would consider himself unworthy because of his former life. But he's declared worthy and he becomes a messenger. And friends, that's what God does. He reaches into our lives and he transforms us. We deserve to pay the price for our sin, but by by the grace of God, He changes us. He changes us. And the promises of God is this, that He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And friends, He's working out His plan and His purposes for our lives. And that's what brings hope and meaning to our lives because of grace, because of the gospel, because Jesus died for our sins. He was buried, was raised on the third day. And as a result, we have forgiveness of sins and the promise of eternal life. And that is why we can stand and boldly declare no guilt in life. Why? Because the Bible says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
but we can sing no guilt in life, no fear in death. Why do we do that? Because of the hope of the resurrection. Do you see that no matter what is happening in our lives, we can believe that God has a purpose and that the hope of eternal life grounds us? When we receive the gospel, we receive hope, we then become messengers of hope. I have another illustration of transformation. Um, uh, My nephew, he's in his early 30s, and um, by his own admission, in his early 20s, his life was really off the rails. And um, was into the whole drug culture and and all of that. And um, the power of a praying mom is that... um, he who started a good work in Joel when he was younger was still at work even when it didn't appear that he was at work. And Joel came back to the Lord, committed his life, recommitted his life, was called into ministry. He, he went to Bible school. He then was called to, to, to go as a missionary into the Middle East uh, to, to help with the work that he's doing there. He's actually now at the University of Copenhagen going um, to, um, uh, he's working on his master's. He's, um, his master's is in church planting. And, you know, when I, when I see Joel or talk to him, I can just see the grace of God just transform this kid's life. And um, maybe you have a, a team that's struggling a little bit. Never lose hope. Keep praying. Um, but this week, Joel posted a video because his church that he attends in Copenhagen, when the invasion happened in, in Ukraine, um, his pastor contacted some churches in Poland and said, can we work together? Can we do something? And they started an organization. And since then, churches in Norway and Sweden have joined. And Joel has gone um, to do relief work, humanitarian work there. And, and he put this little video together, and I just want you to see it. Uh, someday, hopefully, he'll tell you his whole story. Um, but it really is a story of transformation. I think this reveals what happens to a person who receives hope, who then becomes a messenger of the hope that we then have. Let's watch this. I just want to make a little video because, I mean, I think it would just help me process some of the things I experienced today. Um, not sure if I'll share this, save it on my phone and watch it later on in life, but I don't want to forget this day. I had the honor of serving with people from Denmark, Sweden, Norway, Finland, Canada, Belarus, people that saw a need and wanted to meet it. Sitting with Ukrainians as they've been fleeing and coming across the border here and doing something that my grandparents did during World War II. It's surreal to see that all these years later, it seems like we've learned nothing. Earlier this morning, I was sitting with this little girl, maybe four years old, coloring in a little coloring book and going back and forth, trying to use my broken Russian. Uh, And, you know, she... She was saying some things that I didn't understand, and 
uh, I ended up using my my Google Translate and I could see the translation trying to put together what she's saying and as I'm reading it I start to cry because four-year-old girl knows that Ukraine's been invaded by Russia and that her dad is there and might not come back and coloring like it's a coloring book but you know I feel like today I learned more than I ever have in my life that you know there's, there's that difference between sympathy and empathy and you know we don't come to these places and feel sorry for people you know, I want to step inside the pit with someone who's suffering and, you know, just hang out. People aren't alone. And, you know, <laughs> you know, our team shows up to these centers and just to, just to chill, hang out. And, you know, typical Ukrainians start making a schnitzel and coleslaw and potatoes and, you know, like, there's no way we were leaving there without eating something. And was, the food was so good. And you could just, you know, the presence of the Lord in this kitchen is we're <laughs> eating schnitzel. And these, these ladies are just so honored to be able to, like, host just, the, you know, in this desperate situation, everything they have in front of them has been given. And what they can give is their cooking. And it was received. It was received with a smile. Oh my goodness, it was so good. But, um, you know, this day has been amazing to know that the promise in Romans 8.28 that God does work all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose is true. That he does make beauty from ashes. He is the God of the resurrection. And I feel like I got to see that in a small bit today. It was a good day. It was a very good day. that's our hope the hope of the resurrection changes lives has he changed your life you say well what do you mean how does that happen it starts first of all by believing believing that Jesus died for your sins and he was buried and he rose again and so that's why we start with Romans 10, verse 9. If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You see, it's really not that difficult. But by believing, by grace through faith, Jesus becomes our Lord and our Savior. And then we give our lives fully to him. We give our lives over to him. And if he calls us to be a missionary or he calls us to go across the street, 
We look for the people around us who are hurting, who are suffering, and we enter into their lives so that we can bring them hope in the same way that we ourselves have received hope. So do you believe? Do you believe in the resurrection? Do you believe that Jesus died for your sins? He was buried and he rose again. Paul emphatically says in verse 20, Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Categorically. And that fact alone brings hope and meaning and peace and joy. And he invites us into a relationship. He invites us to trust him. He invites us, even when things are going off the rails, they're not going well, we struggled. Maybe you even had a time in your own life where you felt like God has abandoned you. Friend, he has never abandoned you. He has never abandoned you. You may feel that. You may think that. But he hasn't left you. So friends, believe, trust, follow. And may we be people who bring this message of hope. That's the message that we have to share. We don't just come today to celebrate that and then just go on as if nothing happened. We go on with our days going, I am a messenger of hope because I want to resurrect hope in this world. I want to make a difference because only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can do that. Let's pray together. Father, I pray as we conclude this morning and as we've been just immersing ourselves again in this incredible story. And it's not a story in the sense of fiction or somebody made this up, but these real events that took place 2,000 years ago that we still remember. And we've just come through this weekend where we remember that you died, Jesus, for our sins. And you were buried, and then on the third day you rose again. And Father, I pray for every person here today. You know exactly where they are at in their faith journey. There may be those who are skeptical, who still have doubts, who still question the the resurrection. I pray that you would continue to draw them to yourself, that you would give them opportunities to talk to people who have experienced hope and the transformation that comes as a result. Father, maybe we're, in a sense, a seasoned Christian. We've walked with you for many years. I pray that you would inspire us today to be people who don't just keep this message to ourselves, but that we would, in a broken and lost world, we would enter in, in the way that Jesus entered into our world, and share the love and the hope of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus, you alone are our hope. You alone are hope for the nations. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.